Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Simon Clark from American Lithium, joined with my colleague Ted O'Connor um, to talk about uh, our uranium project with uh, with the guys from this over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to London. Good to see you. Yeah. yeah. You came by my my hometown. Dublin. Uh, Dublin. Dublin's the first city. Right. I'll check for reports. Um, and good to see you again. It is good to see you. Right. Um, now, I'm going to start with this guy. Yeah. Because he's been doing some heavy work. lifting and yeah. all the work, quite frankly. You've also, we're here at the WNA conference, the World Nuclear Association conference downstairs. You've been part of the team that's put together the report, which I think comes out later today, we're going to say. Yeah. I'm going to say later today when this video comes out. Um, so what, what were you doing? What, what was your involvement? So... For the past several years, I've been on, involved with working group meetings as a, an observer and contributor, not a full member, which that will change going forward. But there's, there's a series of meetings where people talk about specifically uranium supply and demand. Where that, that's our working group. And they basically build the supply stack to meet demand on our side from existing production, then you have idle capacity now. You never used to have it, but post-Fukushima, that's, that's a reality. And then you start putting in projects that are a, a bit more down the track. And our project, Makassani, we, we got elevated from what, what they called potential supply, so nebulous out there in time, mm. up to the prospective mines category, because we've, we have an economic study, we have uh, a, a timeline now that the Peruvian government is, is talking about shortening permitting times. There's no uh, less of a, uh, an issue with that. So um, we've been elevated. Our project is up in the uh, prospective mines category, which is, which is quite significant for us. The project's been around since 2006. Um, and through a lot of iterations, we, we now have this large 124 million pound uranium resource and proven economics that said it, say it's going to be quite low cost potential operation. So that's what makes it one of the better projects as opposed to some of the ones further down the track and also, you know, that haven't even really seen a drill hole in the last, since the last cycle. Right, but to come back, come back to the report, because I'm, I'm intrigued about how these things get together, because mm -hmm. it's not a big industry in uranium space, right? So there's very few, um, I guess there's two trade bodies, UXC and, and, and Trade Tech. You kind of put the dates together for utility buyers, for banks, and for the companies themselves, as I understand where, where they sit in the mix here. So this report is super important in terms of, as you mentioned, supply and demand. It, that's how the money's made, you know, and... and um, your responsibility is to do it economically, but we as investors need to understand, is there going to be supply to meet the demand? What's, what's the quick answer on the word? Well, yes, but you have to layer in price, which is something the World Nuclear Association cannot and does not do. Right. Why not? Uh, well, there are, you know, OPEC-style uh, trade, you know, restrictions where you're not supposed to talk about cost, price, or anything else. So that doesn't get factored in. Some international bodies actually put a little, well, quite a large range, like the International Atomic Energy Agency Red Book. They have cost ranges. Right. But here, there's no cost. So 
yes, there's sufficient supply. We shouldn't alarm governments to support nuclear energy because there's lots of uranium to feed these things. It's at what cost. Right. And, you know, in reality, the, the price of the uranium coming out the mine mill door has very little bearing on the actual cost of electrical nuclear energy production. In reality, it's the exact opposite of natural gas. Right. Smaller front end capex, but operating costs can fluctuate and the electrical price can, can fluctuate incredibly. Okay, so it's as small as, as a percentage of the infrastructure that's feeding, feeding into. And then the no, all in cost of nuclear energy, electricity production right. is, has very little to do with the uranium price. Right. I guess what I'm trying to get as investors is where do I put my money? So I I'm, I think the economics, putting a range, I'm not talking about the range, is not helpful to, to me as an investor, um, but I can understand why you, you guys have to operate like that. Yeah. You, you know, purportedly, you know, unbiased as you can be, right? Um, but economics do come into it. Companies need to be able to make money. They need to be able to produce economically. And that does affect the timing and the capability of companies to be able to feed into that supply dynamic that, you, that you're laying out in the report, right? Mm -hmm. So understanding that, are all developers going to get into production in this cycle? I, I would say that the short answer is probably not. And I'll give you a, an, a hard example from, from our project. When we did the economic study and we're in the process of updating that, um, it, it's a bit dated, 2016, but we used $50 a pound uranium selling price, mm -hmm. U308. And all the projects at the time, that time, 2016, were using 65 or more. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to today, those same projects that use 65 are using 65 again, maybe 70. And we can still use 50. And guess what? The spot price is over 60 this week. So we're, we're, we're quite comfortable with where we are as far as if, if all goes well with, with our permitting, with our, our, uh, our, our new economic study, that we will be in production yeah. eventually. And I think, Matt, I mean, the nuclear fuel report, as Ted said, they have to show that there is enough supply. Mm. But as you talked about before we came on air, um, you know, you have zombie projects and that makes you have projects that require a much higher price, but they don't necessarily, they, they still factor those in. Yeah. The reality is, are those guys, are those projects truly going to be able to make it? And I think, um, you know, clearly with the move up in the category for us, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more belief in projects like ours, especially as Ted said, with the extremely strong economic. But that's what I'm trying to work. I'm trying to work out who's here at the zoo here because yeah, it, we, yeah, we did talk about the zombie projects, and they and that it basically means here we go again. They're bringing them back to, back up to the surface. Maybe this time they'll work. Uh, uh, no, they don't. And you know, there's a lot of that, but there's a lot of very destru destructive and distracting to investors. Mm -hmm. And I, but I think they're easier to spot. It's the it's the bigger, more advanced development type stories and plays that concern me because, you know, I, I'm listening to the past couple of days to industry insiders look at point of some of the, the poster child uh, projects going, well, actually, that thing has been high-graded to hack. Actually, they've only got five years' life of mine. It's not quite as advertised. So 
I know you guys take a lot of this into account in the report, and I know you discount to a degree, but you don't necessarily present all of that information because you, why? Because well, you want? well, no, but first of all, there are company questionnaires on the supply, the demand side. Filled in by the company. Filled in by the company. Right. Here's our plans. Here's what we, and I did the same thing for our project. Yeah. Um, based on our public information for those countries and projects that you don't know much about, some of the Russian, some of the, you name it, it's based off publicly announced information, whether it's reactor builds, China says we're going to do this, it gets factored in, there's been some delays, those are factored in, it, it's 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 as as good a report as one can get based on the fact that it's industry-led, this organization, Yeah, but it's uh it's, they're they're trying to look at the the whole world right on on all levels yeah yeah no i i, I like it's, it's a big task and a big project etc but it, me coming as a realistic investor fundamentals driven investor yeah i know not some will not get into production because they can't raise the capital some won't get into production because they can't technically manage it some won't get into production because um the the, the, pr the price incentive isn't there for them yet yeah. Um, and there's lots of reasons why there'll either be no production or delays, et cetera. So I want to focus on what, what's real. So coming to you, Simon, see? You're saying I'm real? You're real. You're real. <laughs> you um, he's not from Valentine's Day. Your task at hand for one of your three projects is to get this uh, Peruvian uranium project up and running and into production. Because once you show that you're closer to production you have a different sort of conversation with these utilities you you get some indications about what they'd be prepared to do you can have, therefore have different conversations with the banks in terms of the the cost of capital Which available for the of, uh, you know not just the money's available but the cost of that money available to you and that gives you a sense of how you insert yourself into that whole narrative of we will be a producer and then there's a bunch of people over here talking about being producers so given that's your task at hand um, what, what's your what's, what have you come here to do at the WNA? What are you looking to find out? Well, listen, I, I think the work that Ted has done, you know, for the nuclear fuel report, I mean, that gives people more credibility. We've actually had a couple of strategic um, approaches recently, um, talking about how strong the project is based on independent reviews of the industry red book right. and other material like this, which validates our project yeah. without us having to go and necessarily promote, they've done their own due diligence. Um, so I think that's really strong. I, I think for us, like we talked about on the lithium side, we're seeing really good moves in Peru that, um, you know, the government there is, is and, it's a, and it doesn't happen overnight, but they're very much looking to fast track permitting, mine building. And so I think what we know with Makassani is, you know, provided it can, it can get the capital focus and and be driven the um the velocity within the project is is huge i mean it's ready to pilot as we've talked about we think the resource gets a lot bigger we continue to find targets pretty much every day up there to to expand and as you remember it's a series of satellite deposits because it's a consolidation play well the reality is a bunch of those deposits are going to run together we know that um so the resource is going to get bigger. Um, we're, we're ready to pilot. 
part of piloting is not only because we're very comfortable with the flow sheet, but it will also give us material that we can share with strategic players who are already showing a lot of interest in, in the project. So, you know, we are, we're here to talk to some strategics to keep the profile of the project up, you know, to talk to, I mean, lots of interest from more of the mainstream banks as well. Um, but, you know, Ted's obviously doing the important industry work. We have Lawrence with us as well. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we have a bunch of meeting over the next couple of days, mainly on the strategic side. Right. Um, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the strategics are looking for those projects that are real. And, I, you know, I don't mean real, but ones that can actually make money in a realistic price range and actually have a good chance of coming on. And, and we do believe that if the permitting measures being talked about in Peru come on, that this project could be in production by late 26. Right. You know, maybe early 27, but it's a fast track, yeah. you know, to drive this through updated PA, pre-fees, and then mine permitting. They're talking about six months. Now, we're more conservative that in, in those expectations, but it's still a project that has a lot of velocity. Right, and, and it's um, I mean, time's light, and, you know, and, and, and time is unfortunately time, but just that timing the market. When, yeah. So let's be clear about what, when I hear that, I think mostly it's like, we're going to time the market. What does that mean in the case of uranium? Because what's the future of uranium? I don't, I don't know. So what's timing the market? Well, well, I think I mean we've already seen with us. We we looked at spinning the project yeah. out, and we concluded that the timing wasn't right. And you know because we own the asset, and we, you know we we're well capitalized. We we weren't in a rush, and we were able to pull back. And so I I, I think for us it's. You know, continuing to see positive developments in Peru. You know, drilling, uh, moving, moving the pilot side of things forward, and then you know, finding the right market environment to make sure this project is in its in its own vehicle because that will ultimately maximize the velocity. This question: What what are the discussions that you've had around that one? Because Everyone's sort of view that there's been a creative growth on the uranium price. Yeah, we've had over we've had sixty one million at one point in stuff. It's it's really it's really starting to, to move the right direction. Yeah, I'm, I've never been a uranium two hundred or what I was saying these days five hundred guy, but it's a creative growth is good enough, right? The trade bodies think that's same thing. I think industry insiders think the same thing, but investors investors sometimes get a bit carried away. If you kind of see this growth trajectory starting to open up a bit, do you have with within the remit that you've got, you set yourselves up board the ability to say, do you know what? Actually, maybe we don't need to separate this out. I mean, actually, we can get the funding and there is the ability to mingle the team. I, I, I think for sure we can and we're not in a rush. But the reality is we are seen as a lithium developer. And there's no doubt that um, in an energy company. Well, you could be, but change the words. We, we, we could change the words, but most people look at us and say, you know, most developers, you know, it's hard enough to move one yeah. advanced development project forward, let alone three. And are you a lithium player or a uranium? Yes, you could call yourself an energy. But I think what's clear is we don't get any value as a company for the today. uranium side today. Maybe, today. maybe that will well, change. Maybe if uranium, uranium does go over 100 bucks, maybe that's... For sure. As I'm saying, it's yeah, and, and options. And, and, and we have an open mind. Okay. I, I mean, I think we showed that by... We could have, we, we could have spun it out. We could have put it in its own vehicle. We think it would have 
It wasn't even like that pressure to do that. It, it, exactly. Right. So as we move forward, we will continue to assess mm-hmm. the best strategic move. I think as I sit here today, I would think that, that a spin out into its own vehicle where our shareholders benefit is probably still the right choice, but we're not going to rush into it and we are going to continue to assess all strategic options. And, and drive all three projects forward. Yeah. yeah. And as and as Ted said, you, you know, the, the value of it's only increasing. Yeah. You know, we're seeing that from the industry, we're seeing that as the price goes up and um, this is a this is a really significant asset for us and, uh, you know, we'll continue to treat it as such and right. do the right thing. Okay, so coming back to the kind of country, but I just want to, because again, we've seen a few instances like Niger at the yeah. moment. Yeah. It's been an un- unhappy time for the companies uh, developing projects there uh, and, and, and I'm sure lots of other knock-on effects too, but country risk is important. You know that a little bit from Peru. Yeah. Peru hasn't for the last you know four or five years had you know plain sailing. It's been it's had its ups and then it's had its downs and we seem to be back on an up now. So that kind of uh jurisdictional de-risking mm-hmm. is quite important. But what is actually happening coming? You give us some clues, Ted and yourself there, but in terms of the ability to move your project forward at the speed that you need to what what's actually changed in terms of the government decision making, communication, etc. I'll I'll start yeah it hasn't changed. Okay. Our local community support. Okay. Um, we've always, we've worked uninterrupted except for this last five months. I was mean positively. Positively, exactly. So we worked uninterrupted and in Peru, you can't, you can't set foot on the ground without the community saying okay, because they are the communal, where we work, communal landowners, the association. So. That's that's been a constant. They've been lobbying the central government to let us get going, let us get back to work, give us our drill permits, you know, things like this. So that hasn't changed. But what has changed, Simon? Can sure, yeah. I I I mean, I you know what I would say is, you know, I mean, you never want to say never, but Peru historically is a, has been you know a probably one of the better jurisdictions in, in South America. It's got a very strong mining code, a very fair fiscal regime. Mining's a huge part of the, the economy and they understand and they know that. Mm. Um, and you usually have a center-right Congress in Peru, which backs business and, mm. and, and mining is a part of that. Um, you know, the issue, as we've talked about from time to time, and hey, it's not for me to talk about it as an issue, it's for the Peruvian people, but they have a, a presidential process that does allow, because you have all these center-right parties that fragment the vote, you can end up with, you know, some some politicians that or presidents that are not tried and tested, politicians who, you know, lean more to the left, and then when they're at loggerheads with the with the parliament, that can cause that can cause issues. So, so that's kind of what we've come through in the last in the in the last piece. And you know, although we weren't able to get a lot through the the main permitting channels, our team on the ground did an excellent job of moving the projects forward. Um, you know, despite that, you know, we filed the EIA early on Falchani that allowed us to do a bunch of drilling. Um, and, you know, we've continued to do a lot of work on the background, on the field, on the uranium side, and we've done a lot of lab work on both. So we've continued the momentum there. Um, but, you know, up until recently, we weren't able to drill. 
what's changed for us, I think, and, and we didn't know what was going to happen when the new government came in mm. in December. And obviously there was a social unrest fed by people whipping up some of the, the left-wing elements in country. And so we didn't know what would happen. But, you know, I think we've been really pleasantly surprised. And this has been borne out by a number of other players, not not just us, where we now have a government that, that seems to have, you know, um, gone across party lines, very much looking for a a government that, that can work with the Congress, can get the support of the Congress, can get things done. And they've really embraced the economy as the means to try and, you know, bring more wealth into the more remote areas of the country and help the poorer, the poorer parts of the, of the country. And that's been, that I think that's been the right approach. And within that, we've seen them, for us, they've talked about really wanting to see lithium developed as a, as an industrial mineral. And they've made that comment publicly a number of times. In general, cutting permitting times, reducing the environmental permitting from 21 months to three months. Mm-hmm. You know, looking to uh, lithium as a non-metal, if everything works, should only take six months to permit a mine anyway. For uranium, which is a metal, it would still typically be longer, but they've set this goal of, of, of six months for all mines. Um, so it's, it's a good environment. And, you know, things never happen as quickly as you'd like. And we're still waiting for our final drill permit on the uranium side. We do expect it any time. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, in the interim, we are going to be moving the, the project into the pilot phase and, and, and having momentum that way. So, you know, this government in Peru is being talked about as the most pro-mining government, you know, since uh, Alberto Fujimori yeah. 20 plus years ago. And um, we're seeing some really good signs and, you know, hopefully that will continue. But, uh, but it's, uh, you know, when you look around uh, the countries around us, you know, I'd much rather be in Peru right now than those other countries. Okay. I'm actually going to take a question from the back of the room. Um, any questions for the young man at the back there? You've listened to this. What else do we need to know? Or right, this one here. Anything you'd like to add? <laughs> Look, I think we have to trust, uh, we have to trust very much in the jurisdiction, the country and the rules of law mm-hmm. in any country. Mining is a risky business. Either you accept to be in mining or you do not accept to be in mining. So the moment when you accept to be in mining, you have to understand two things. Can I work with the rules and regulation of that country under that framework and can I work with those communities? And then comes probably the most important thing that sometimes you forget about. What's the strength of our commodities? Are they good enough? Can they be a mine for one year, two years, five years, you know? Because we talk about zombie projects, you know? So look, the issue is, a lot of uranium will come back, but a lot of them will probably not have the legs for the next stage of the development. In Peru, and I'm a long believer of that country, not only that has SEPOS re-emphasized during the, the, this interview today, but we have one of the uh, best mining jurisdictions in the world with deposits that are world-class. And I do believe that Peru as a society uh, also, there are inclination to the left every now and then, you know, but in the pro- in, they come to the middle. They come to the middle. They come, they, they come to the center and they allow the countries to develop. Mining is important, and this project that we try to develop in Peru can produce uranium for the Peruvian society and for the world in general, for the new needs of the electric revolution that we are uh, living through today. 
not for one to five two years. You know, we have the resource, what we have modeled in the past can last for at least 20 years. But we know that the resources are much larger for B2B. Peru can be a, an uranium producer for, and probably now I'm just making a commitment that I shouldn't, for 30, 40, 50 years. So we are looking at a uranium field that will probably be in the history books of mining for many years to go. We can't see his face, but don't know who said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just like to attribute that to Lawrence Stefan. <laughs> well, I, no, I do agree. He seems that. very keen on Peru. He loves very Peru. confident in yeah. Peru. And we know his technical prowess. So uh, we're in good hands, aren't we? We're in very good hands. Ladies and gentlemen, and, Adam, and with Ted. I'd absolutely, I was including Ted for sure. Um, someone's going to make us a little bit in there. do. Ted, good to see you again, sir. Thank you very much for sharing the insights. Congrats on the report. Simon, good to see you. Good luck to Ireland. Good luck to Ireland. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Simon Clark from American Lithium, joined with my colleague Ted O'Connor um, to talk about uh, our uranium project with uh, with the guys from this over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to London. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah. you came by my my hometown, Dublin. Uh, Dublin. Dublin. Dublin's the city. Right. I'll check for reports. Um, and good to see you again. It is good to see you. Right. Um, now. I'm going to start with this guy. Yeah. Because he's been doing some heavy work. lifting and yeah. all the work, quite frankly. You've also, we're here at the WNA conference, the World Nuclear Association conference downstairs. You've been part of the team that's put together the report, which I think comes out later today, we're going to say. Yeah. I'm going to say later today when this video comes out. Um, so, what, what were you doing? What, what was your involvement? So, for the past several years, I've been on, involved with working group meetings as a, an observer and contributor, not a full member, which that will change going forward. But there's, there's a series of meetings where people talk about specifically uranium supply and demand, where that, that's our working group. And they basically build the supply stack to meet demand on our side from existing production. Then you have idle capacity now. You never used to have it, but post-Fukushima, that's, that's a reality. And then you start putting in projects that are a, a bit more down the track. And our project, Makassani, we, we got elevated from what, what they called potential supply, so nebulous out there in time, mm. up to the prospective mines category. Because we've, we have an economic study, we have... Uh, a, a timeline now that the Peruvian government is is talking about shortening permitting times. There's no less of a uh, an issue with that. So um, we've been elevated. Our project is up in the uh, prospective mines category, which is which is quite significant for us. The project's been around since 2006, 
Um, and through a lot of iterations, we, we now have this large 124 million pound uranium resource and proven economics that said it, say it's going to be quite low cost potential operation. So that's what makes it one of the better projects as opposed to some of the ones further down the track and also, you know, that haven't even really seen a drill hole in the last, since the last cycle. Right, but, but to come, back, come back to the report, because I'm, I'm intrigued about how these things get together, because it's not a big industry in uranium space, right? So there's very few, um, I guess there's two trade bodies, UXC and, and, and Trade Tech. You kind of put the dates together for utility buyers, for banks, and for the companies themselves, as I where, where they sit in the mix here. So this report is super important in terms of, as you mentioned, supply and demand. It, that's how the money's made, you know, and, and um, your responsibility is to do it economically, but we as investors need to understand, is there going to be supply to meet the demand? What's, what's the quick answer on word? Well, yes, but you have to layer in price, which is something the World Nuclear Association cannot and does not do. Right. Why not? Uh, well, there are, you know, OPEC-style uh, trade you know, restrictions where you're not supposed to talk about cost, price, or anything else. So that doesn't get factored in. Some international bodies actually put a little, well, quite a large range, like the International Atomic Energy Agency Red Book. They have cost ranges. Right. But here there's no cost. So, yes, there's sufficient supply. We shouldn't alarm governments to support nuclear energy because there's lots of uranium to feed these things is at what cost. Right. And, you know, in reality, the, the price of the uranium coming out the mine mill door has very little bearing on the actual cost of electrical nuclear energy production. In reality, it's the exact opposite of natural gas. Right. Smaller front end capex, but operating costs can fluctuate and the electrical price can, can fluctuate Incredible. Okay, so it's as small as, as a percentage of the infrastructure that's feeding, feeding into, and then the no, all-in cost of nuclear energy electricity production right. is has very little to do with the uranium price. Right. I guess what I'm trying to get as investors where do I put my money? So I I'm, I think the economics putting a range and not talking about the range is not helpful to, to me as an investor. Um, but I can understand why you, you guys have to operate like that. Yeah. Have you, like, you know, purportedly, you know, on biases you can be, right? Um, but economics do come into it. Companies need to be able to make money. They need to be able to produce economically. And that does affect the timing and the capability of companies to be able to feed into that supply dynamic that, you, that you're laying out in the report, right? Mm -hmm. So understanding that, are all developers going to get into production in this cycle? I, I would say that the short answer is probably not. And I'll give you a, an, a hard example from, from our project. When we did the economic study, and we're in the process of updating that, um, it, it's a bit dated, 2016, but we used $50 a pound uranium selling price, mm -hmm. U308. And all the projects at the time that time, 2016, we're using 65 or more. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to today, 
those same projects that use 65 are using 65 again, maybe 70. And we can still use 50. And guess what? The spot price is over 60 this week. So we're, we're, we're quite comfortable with where we are as far as if, if all goes well with, with our permitting, with our, our, uh, our, our new economic study, that we will be in production yeah. eventually. And I think, Matt, I mean, the nuclear fuel report, as Ted said, they have to show that there is enough supply. Mm. But as you talked about before we came on air, um, you know, you have zombie projects and that makes you have projects that require a much higher price, but they don't necessarily, they, they still factor those in. Yeah. The reality is, are those guys, are those projects truly going to be able to make it? And I think, um, you know, clearly with the move up in the category for ours, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more belief in projects like ours, especially as Ted said, with the extremely strong economic. Well, that's what I'm trying to work. I'm trying to work out who's here at the zoo here. Because yeah. It, we, yeah, we did talk about the zombie projects and they, and that it basically means, here we go again, they're bringing them back, to, back up to the service. Maybe this time they'll work. Uh, uh, no, they don't. And, you know, there's a lot of that, but there's a lot of very destru destructive and distracting to investors. Mm -hmm. and I, but I think they're easier to spot. It's the, it's the bigger, more advanced development type stories and plays that concern me because, you know, I, I'm listening to the past couple of days to industry insiders look at point at some of the, even the poster child uh, projects going, well, actually, that thing has been hydrated to hack. Actually, they've only got five years' life of mine. It's not quite as advertised. So I know you guys take a lot of this into account in the report, and I know you discount to a degree, but you don't necessarily present all of that information because you, why? Because well, aren't? well, no, but first of all, there are company questionnaires on the supply, the demand. So filled in by the company. Filled in by the company. Right. Here's our plans. Here's what we, and I did the same thing for our project. Yeah. Um, based on our public information for those countries and projects that you don't know much about, some of the Russian, some of the, you name it, it's based off publicly announced information, whether it's reactor builds, China says we're going to do this, it gets factored in. There's been some delays, those are factored in. It, it's 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 as, as good a report as one can get based on the fact that it's industry led this organization yeah but it's uh it's, they're they're trying to look at the the whole world right on on all levels yeah yeah no i i like it's, it's a big task and a big project etc but it, me coming as a realistic investor fundamentals driven investor yep. i know not some will not get into production because they can't raise the capital some won't get into production because they can't technically manage it some won't get into production because um, the, the 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 price incentive isn't there for them yet. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of reasons why there'll either be no production or delays, etc. So I want to focus on what, what's real. So coming to you, Simon. See, you're saying I'm real. You're real. You're real. <laughs> you are. Um, he's, he's not from Is is you've got your task at hand for one of your three projects is to get this uh, Peruvian uranium project up and running and into production because once you show that you're closer to production you have a different sort of conversation with these utilities you you get some indications about what they'd be prepared to do you can have, therefore have different conversations with the banks in terms of the 
the cost of capital is available for the, of, uh, you know, not just the money's available, but the cost of that money available to you. And that gives you a sense of how you insert yourself into that whole narrative of we will be a producer. And then there's a bunch of people over here talking about being producers. Mm -hmm. So given that's your task at hand, um, what, what's your, what's, what have you come here to do at the WNA? What are you looking to find out? Well, listen, I, I think the work that Ted has done, you know, for the nuclear fuel report, I mean, that gives people more credibility. We've actually had a couple of strategic um, approaches recently um, talking about how strong the project is based on independent reviews of the industry red book right. and other material like this, which validates our project yeah. without us having to go and necessarily promote yeah. they've done their own due diligence. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really strong. I, I think for us, like we talked about on the lithium side, we're seeing really good moves in Peru that, um, you know, the government there is is and it's a, and it doesn't happen overnight but they're very much looking to fast track permitting mine building and so i think what we know with makasani is you know provided it can it can get the capital focus and and be driven the um the velocity within the project is is huge i mean it's ready to pilot as we've talked about we think the resource gets a lot bigger we continue to find targets pretty much every day up there to to expand and as you remember it's a series of satellite deposits because it's a consolidation play well the reality is a bunch of those deposits are going to run together we know that um so the resource is going to get bigger um we're, we're ready to pilot part of piloting is not only because we're very comfortable with the flow sheet but it will also give us material that we can share with strategic players who are already showing a lot of interest in in the project. So, you know, we are we're here to talk to some strategics to keep the profile of the project up. You know, to talk to I mean, lots of interest from more of the mainstream banks as well. Um, but you know, Ted's obviously doing the important industry work. We have Lawrence with us as well. Um, so yeah, we 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 have a bunch of meeting over the next couple of days, mainly on the strategic side. Right. Um, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean the strategics are looking for those projects that are real. And I, you know, I don't mean real, but ones that can actually make money in a realistic price range and actually have a good chance of coming on. And we do believe that if the permitting measures being talked about in Peru come on, that this project could be in production by late 26, right. you know, maybe early 27, but it's a fast track. Yeah. You know, to drive this through updated PA, pre-fees, and then mine permitting, they're talking about six months. Now, we're more conservative that in, in those expectations, but it's still a project that has a lot of velocity. Right, and, and it's, um, I mean, time's like, and, you know, and, and, and time is unfortunately time, but just that timing the market. When, yeah. So let's be clear about what, when I hear that, I think mostly it's like, we're going to time the market. What does that mean in the case of uranium? Because what's the future of uranium? I don't, I don't know. So what's timing the market? Well, well, I think I mean we've already seen with us. We we looked at spinning the project yeah, yeah. out, and we concluded that the timing wasn't right. And you know because we own the asset, and we, you know we we're well capitalized. We we weren't in a rush, and we were able to pull back. And so I I, I think for us it's you know continuing to see positive developments in Peru, you know, drilling, uh, moving, moving the pilot side of things forward. 
and then you know finding the right market environment to make sure this project is in its in its own vehicle because that will ultimately maximize the velocity. This question: What what are the discussions that you've had around that one? Because everyone's sort of view that there's been a creative growth on the uranium price. Yeah, we've had over we've had sixty one million at one point. So. It's it's really it's really starting to, to move the right direction. Yeah. I'm, I've never been a uranium two hundred or what I'm saying these days five hundred guy, but it's a creative growth is good enough, right? The trade bodies think that's same thing. I think industry insiders think the same thing, but investors investors sometimes get a bit carried away. If you kind of see this growth trajectory starting to open up a bit, do you have with within the remit that you've got, you set yourselves up board, the ability to say, do you know what? Actually, maybe we don't need to separate this out. I mean, actually, we can get the funding and there is the ability to mingle the team. I, I, I think for sure we can and we're not in a rush. But the reality is we are seen as a lithium developer and there's no doubt that um, in an, an energy company. Well, you could be, but... Change the words. We, we, we could change the words, but most people look at us and say, you know, most developers, you know, it's hard enough to move one yeah. advanced development project forward, let alone three. And are you a lithium player or a uranium? Yes, you could call yourself an energy. But I think what's clear is we don't get any value as, well, as a company for today. the uranium side. Today, maybe, today. maybe that will well, change. Maybe if uranium, uranium does go over a hundred but maybe that's... For that's, sure. As I'm saying, it's yeah, and, and, options. And, and, and we have an open mind. Okay. I, I mean, I think we showed that by... We could have, we, we could have spun it out. We could have put it in its own vehicle. We think it would have. It wasn't you not that pressure to do that. It, it, exactly. Right. So as we move forward, we will continue to assess mm. the best strategic move. I think as I sit here today, I would think that that a spin out into its own vehicle where our shareholders benefit is probably still the right choice. But we're not going to rush into it, and we are going to continue to assess all strategic options and drive all three projects forward. Yeah. yeah. And as and as Ted said, you, you know the, the value of it's only increasing. Yeah, you know we're seeing that from the industry. Was we're seeing that as the price goes up, and um, this is a this is a really significant asset for us. And uh, you know we'll continue to treat it as such and right. do the right thing. Okay, so coming back to the kind of country, but I just want because again we've seen a few instances like Niger at the yeah. moment. Yeah, it's been an un- unhappy time for the companies uh, developing projects there. Uh, and, and, and I'm sure lots of other knock-on effects too, but country risk is important. You know that a little bit from Peru. Yeah. Peru hasn't, for the last you know, four or five years, had you know, plain sailing. It's been, it's had its ups and then it's had its downs and we seem to be back on an up now. So that kind of uh, jurisdictional de-risking mm-hmm. is quite important. But what is actually happening? Can you give us some clues, Ted, and yourself there? But in terms of the ability to move your project forward at the speed that you need to, what what's actually changed in terms of the government decision making, communication, etc.? I'll, I'll start. Yeah, it hasn't changed. Okay, our local community support. Okay, um, we've always we've worked uninterrupted except for this last five months. I'll say you mean positively. Positively, exactly. So we worked uninterrupted, and in Peru, you can't you can't set foot on the ground without the community saying okay because they are the communal where we work communal landowners the association so that's that's been a constant they've been lobbying the central government to let us get 
going, let us get back to work, give us our drill permits, you know, things like this. So that hasn't changed, but what has changed, Simon, can... Sure, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, you know, what I would say is, you know, I mean, you never want to say never, but Peru historically is a, has been, you know, a probably one of the better jurisdictions in, in South America. It's got a very strong mining code, a very fair fiscal regime. Mining's a huge part of the, the economy, and they understand and they know that. Mm. Um, and you usually have a center-right Congress in Peru, which backs business and, mm. and, and mining as a part of that. Um, you know, the issue, as we've talked about from time to time, and hey, it's not for me to talk about it as an issue, it's for the Peruvian people, but they have a, a presidential process that does allow, because you have all these center-right parties that fragment the vote, you can end up with, you know, some some politicians that or presidents that are not tried and tested, politicians who, you know, lean more to the left, and then when they're at loggerheads with the with the parliament, that can cause that can cause issues. So, so that's kind of what we've come through in the last in the in the last piece. And you know, although we weren't able to get a lot through the the main permitting channels our team on the ground did an excellent job of moving the projects forward um you know despite that you know we filed the eia early on falchani that allowed us to do a bunch of drilling um and you know we've continued to do a lot of work on the background on the field on the uranium side and we've done a lot of lab work on both so we've continued the momentum there um but you know up until recently we weren't able to drill What's changed for us, I think, and, and we didn't know what was going to happen when the new government came in mm. in December. And obviously there was a social unrest fed by people whipping up some of the, the left wing elements in country. And so we didn't know what would happen. But, you know, I think we've been really pleasantly surprised. And this has been borne out by a number of other players, not not just us, where we now have a government that, that seems to have, you know, um, gone across party lines, very much looking for a a government that that can work with the Congress, can get the support of the Congress, can get things done, and they've really embraced the economy as the means to try and you know bring more wealth into the more remote areas of the country and help the poorer the poorer parts of the, of the country, and that's been that I think that's been the right approach, and within that we've seen them. For us, they've talked about really wanting to see lithium developed as a as an industrial mineral, and they've made that comment publicly a number of times. In general, cutting permitting times, reducing the environmental permitting from 21 months to three months. You know, looking to uh, lithium as a non-metal, if everything works, should only take six months to permit a mine anyway. For uranium, which is a metal, it would still typically be longer, but they've set this goal of of six months for all mines. Um, so it's it's a good environment, and you know things never happen as quickly as you'd like. And we're still waiting for our final drill permit on the uranium side. We do expect it any time. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, in the interim, we are going to be moving the the project into the pilot phase and 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 having momentum that way. So. You know, this government in Peru is being talked about as the most pro-mining government, you know, since uh, Alberto Fujimori yeah. 20 plus years ago. And um, we're seeing some really good signs and, you know, hopefully that will continue. But uh, but it's, uh, you know, when you look around 
the countries around us, you know, I'd much rather be in Peru right now than those other countries. Okay. I'm actually going to take a question from the back of the room. Um, any questions for the young man at the back there? You've listened to this. What else do we need to know? Or this one here. Anything you'd like to add? <laughs> Look, I think we have to trust, uh, we have to trust very much in the jurisdiction, the country and the rules of law mm -hmm. in any country. Mining is a risky business. Either you accept to be in mining or you do not accept to be in mining. So the moment when you accept to be in mining, you have to understand two things. Can I work with the rules and regulation of that country under that frame of work? And can I work with those communities? And then comes probably the most important thing that sometimes you forget about. What's the strength of our commodities? Are they good enough? Can they be a mine for one year, two year, five years, you know? Because we talk about zombie projects, you know? So look, the issue is, a lot of the uranium will come back, but a lot of them will probably not have the legs for the next stage of the development. In Peru, and I'm a long believer of that country, not only that has, as it was re-emphasized during the, the, this interview today, but we have one of the uh, best mining jurisdictions in the world with deposits that are world-class. And I do believe that Peru as a society uh, also, there are inclination to the left every now and then, you know, but in the pro in, they come to the middle. They come to the middle. They come, they, they come to the center and they allow the countries to develop. Mining is important, and this project that we try to develop in Peru can produce uranium for the Peruvian society and for the world in general, for the new needs of the electric revolution that we are uh, living through today, not for one to five two years. You know, we have the resource. What we have modeled in the past can last for at least 20 years. But we know that the resources are much larger. Probably to be, Peru can be a, an uranium producer for, and probably now I'm just making a commitment that I shouldn't, for 30, 40, 50 years. So we are looking at a uranium field that will probably be in the history books of mining for many years to go. You can't see his face, but don't know who said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just like to attribute that to Lawrence Stefan. <laughs> Well, I, no, I do agree. He seems very keen on Peru. He loves very Peru. confident yeah. in Peru. And we know his technical prowess. So we're in good hands, aren't we? We're in very good hands. Ladies and gentlemen, and, and with Ted. Absolutely. I was including Ted for sure. Um, someone's going to make us a little bit of anyway. I do. Ted, good to see you again, sir. Thank you very much for sharing the insights. Congrats on the report. Simon, good to see you. Good luck to Ireland. Good luck to Ireland.